Good morning. Good morning. This is Attorney Vincent Davis. This is Get Your Kids Back Now. This show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. A secondary purpose of the show is to educate parents and relatives or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of the show is to remind the people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box at the state and federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes. Good morning. I'm going to jump in and take the first call. Uh, We're running a little behind schedule this morning. This is area code 209 ending in 74. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Uh, uh, Davis. Hi, Attorney Davis. Um, I'm calling on behalf of my family. Um, I don't. Do, do you guys take names, or just we just go anonymous, or how does that? Uh, no, we don't use names. So just go ahead, tell the story. Okay, cool. Okay, yeah. So, so my story is, and, and my family story is, um, my children were taken away from us on December 12th of last year, and um, it came about because I worked. I was working in Vermont. We live up here in San Joaquin County, and uh, my wife and three children were here. Um, uh, you know, actually, the initial times I got taken from the home was in October, because I was back in Vermont. My wife had had uh, had to serve some time uh, because of some DUIs that she had. She settled that, and she was uh, working toward you know getting all her legal matters in order um, in October and she missed the court date so they issued a bench warrant and they came and got her and the kids were here we had planned to deal with that I was going to come back and at the end of October she had a court date set <clears throat> at the end of October that we were going to you know, deal with the rest of the, the criminal matter unfortunately this bench warrant got served prior to me coming back CP, uh, so the, uh, the children were taken from the home at that point, I came back at the uh, end of October, and I was able to get the children back from uh, on my, you know, they were going back to me on my own behest. I guess put it that way. My wife then would, had dealt with the rest of her time in jail, which was 30 days. And when I was getting the children back here in San Joaquin County, I was told that my wife would not be allowed back into the house without CPS supervision. Uh, so she got out of jail on November 30th. Uh, she had nowhere else to go. I didn't have any way to pay for her to go anywhere else except for there was one night we put up in a motel. So she had to stay out on the street by herself, um, and there was no court. I mean, there was no protective order against her coming into the house, back in the house with kids, but there was a, a court order. Well, I couldn't. I couldn't have my wife stay and live on the street. Um, and like, you know, so I let her back in the house that, you know, they're the mom, she's the mom for my children. Right. So she's not a danger to the children. I'm not a danger to the children. Um, but on the, so we had a court date on December 12th, as I mentioned, uh, when the, the day the kids got taken, I unfortunately didn't know that I did not let that. I didn't need to have, or I didn't have to have, uh, or let the, a CPS person into my house. I didn't know that. I was uh, someone 
you know, ignorant of that fact. So uh, a CPS person came in and she indicated that, well, I'm here just to make sure your house is okay before the court uh, hearing today. Uh, so, you know, the intention was to give the kids back. So she came in and then she found my wife here. And then when we went to court that afternoon, um, they determined that we violated the court order and they took the kids away on, on December 12th. So since then, uh, we've, we've, um, we had no court date to set, you know, uh, I guess it's called the uh, jurisdiction disposition, and that has yet to occur. But um, unfortunately, Mr. Davis, we didn't have the information that we found f- from you last week. My wife had talked to you, and I think uh, a young lady named she is a black, and we started getting educated. So we just took too long to to get your good information. We read through your your, uh, your publication and found that we, you know, as well as not needing, needing to deal with CPS directly, uh, we found some other information that was extremely helpful. Um, and and I am just, you know, we're looking to be able to, you know, our next court date is February 7th. I, I really feel that we have a, we have a possibility of getting our kids back, but from the uh, information we're getting from CPS and the lawyers, it, that might not occur. So, um, I, you know, just learning, I think I've heard a prior caller talk about the the fact that uh, the um, other parties involved, the, the attorneys for the children, the attorneys for CPS, or even our own attorneys, they're all getting paid from one bucket, right? So it is difficult to navigate and manage a fair um, trial, I think, when everybody's all on one side versus you, the parents. So I guess f- I'm certainly shorten the story a bit, but I do have a question, and that is, um, you know, it seems the, the, as we go through this process, my wife and I, that they, that CPS and the court system, they want to separate. We're married. We're staying married. We've been married for 16 years. We're not trying to get divorced. We're not trying to be separated, but it seems like the parties in the legal system and in the CPS and even some maybe some family members are trying to separate us, uh, my wife and I, and we keep asking, well, why do you want to see us separately? Why do you want to talk to us separately? We're one unit. Why do you want to do that? And I mean, logically, it's you know it makes sense that it's easier to divide and conquer. I get that, but legally, do they have a right to do that? I, I just don't understand why. You know, we've been a family for. You know, my oldest child is ten. My youngest youngest is three, and um, we've been together. We've been doing well as a family until this this occurrence. We've had some problems, obviously. Nobody is perfect, and we're certainly not. So, I'm just wondering why is there a legal way to have us represented as, as you know one parental unit versus the, versus the um, you know the court? Not I don't say versus court, but in court. That's that's one of my primary questions. Okay. Let me answer that for you. The, there are laws in every state, including California, about what an attorney can do as far as representation, who he can represent in a case. So, for example, an attorney can't represent people that have a conflict of interest. 
Now, I'm just giving you the general rule. There are many exceptions. Sometimes the analysis gets very complex. But I can tell you as a matter of practice, I've been a lawyer 31 years now. As a matter of practice, um, I do not represent parents in your situation or any juvenile dependency case, any CTS case. I don't represent both of them. There are a lot of dangers for not only the parents, but also for the attorney in doing that. And let me tell you one of the dangers, okay? I'll tell you a couple dangers. Number one, if you have the same attorney, um, the attorney can't effectually, uh, zealously advocate for both parents at the same time because the case that you described to me, the case is very different from the eyes of the mother and the eyes of the father. It's different factually, it's different legally. So how is one person going to advocate effectively for two different situations in the same case? Number two, um, it's a danger for the attorney in that one or both of you could later sue the attorney and, you know, for legal malpractice. Because in my opinion, this could, and I didn't say would, I said this could be a form of legal malpractice. And if you lose your children and don't get them back, that, that attorney is going to be facing possible liability. And even though you say right now, oh, it's okay to do it, that may not be enough to stop you from suing the attorney. Because even if you said okay, you also say, you know, the attorney should have told us, should have knew that, and not represented both of us. Even though you're saying right now we want to be represented by the same attorney. Now, here's the third thing. Okay. Uh, and it's probably the most important thing for most attorneys. Um, let's say you had an attorney represent both of you. Later on, you know, you are subjecting that attorney, you may or your wife may make a complaint against the attorney with the State Bar of California. And, you know, the State Bar could start an investigation, which could lead to the attorney losing his or her license. I'm pretty sure that, you know, 99.999% of all attorneys, no matter how much money you pay them, isn't going to want to do that. They don't want to take the chance. They don't want to take take the uh, chance of losing their license or being disciplined because you and your uh, wife felt at one particular point in time that you guys wanted to be to be represented by the same attorney. Okay. Okay. So that's okay. why. Can I have one? Probably. Well, I hadn't finished. That's why you will probably not find an attorney who will represent both of you, and it has nothing to do with the fact that. They're all being paid from the same pot, which isn't exactly true, but your question wasn't about that, so I won't talk about that this morning. That's why if you're trying to find an attorney, court-appointed or private, you're probably going to have to be represented by uh, two different people. I want to tell you and the listeners a quick story. This happened many years ago. Um, An attorney who I happen to know, um, we're not – friend, but we're colleagues, but he took on the representation of the mother and the father in a case, in a juvenile dependency CPS case. Subsequently, they weren't happy, and um, they ended up hiring two different attorneys, one for the mother, one for the father. I was one of those attorneys. I represented one of the parents. 
the attorney for the mother wanted the mother or advised the mother to file a state bar complaint against the attorney. Um, I don't know whatever happened to that, but it, it turned out that in my personal and professional opinion, the attorney has never been representing both parents, but he did. So, you know, when you ask someone to represent both parents in your CPSC, what you're asking for is that attorney to take a really big risk that you'll always love him and that you'll always be a friend and, you know, his, his license will never be in jeopardy. You know, attorneys probably aren't willing to do that. So that's the reason why you okay. can't find an attorney to represent both of you. You know, there's some serious issues going on, and you may not be aware of it. You know, I've been telling people this a, a lot lately. You know, most people, everyone in the world, has their own sense of justice. It's based upon um, their experiences, their beliefs, what they've been told, or what they've been lear- what they've learned in their, for example, 40 years of life. And then you go to an attorney, and he or she tells you something that doesn't match up with your sense of justice. It matches up with what the law really is, what the case law really is, what the court rules really are. Now, those two things, those two different senses of justice, do intersect about 5% of the time. But here's the problem with most human beings. You know, we think that we're 5% right about something, but we're actually wrong about 95% about that thing, and we just assume that we know everything about that thing. And that's not accurate. You know, one of the constant struggles between an attorney and a client is the attorney is trying to get the client to come over to his world of justice, you know, the law. And the client is always trying to get the attorney to come over to their sense of justice, you know, what they really believe in their life and their experiences, you know, what they've grown up with their 40 years of life. It's a constant struggle between attorneys and clients. You know, clients come to attorneys because they're experts, but then they don't necessarily want to uh, follow the attorney's advice. I, you know, I have a case right now where I'm representing a parent, and the parent came to me and, you know, because she said, basically, hey, I heard you're an expert. You know, uh, I saw your website. I saw your videos. I want to hire you. Great. Now the client wants to take about 80% of my advice, wants to do the other 20% her way, and she still expects to win the case because that's just what she feels in her heart. And what I tell people now, because I don't argue with people, if that's the way you want to do it, that's fine. But if when we don't win or if we don't win this case, please don't blame me because you didn't do what I advised you to do. I mean, you came to me for a reason. You thought I was an expert. You heard I was an expert. You researched it. I'm an expert. I'm not an expert in a lot of things in this life, but this I'm an expert in. And then you don't take, you pay me thousands of dollars and you just don't take my advice because of some principle or belief that you have that was developed over the 40 years of your life. Now, by the way, I'm just guessing you're 40 years old. I'm just using that as an example. But I hope you see the point. Sometimes attorneys are going to tell you things you're not going to like. They're going to tell you things like, I can't represent you and your wife in this case. I can represent one of you. I can't do both. There are reasons for that. It's not because the attorney is just pulling that out of his you-know-what. 
It's because there's laws in place that you may not be aware of. You know, in my career, I've represented people who are attorneys. And they readily tell me, hey, Vince, I don't know anything about this area of law. You're going to have to guide me. I, just this week, I, I, I had a telephone conversation with a very well-known attorney, um, criminal attorney in this, in this county, in Los Angeles County. She was calling me to ask me questions about a juvenile dependency in a family law case because she knows nothing about that. But she's, you know, wise enough to say, hey, I don't know anything about that. I've been a lawyer 20 years, but I don't know anything about family law and juvenile law. I better call someone and ask them. And she called me, and, and I talked to her, and I gave her information and advice, some of which she had no clue about, but she was willing to follow the advice. Because she has that same experience with people in her criminal practice. You know, imagine a person going to a criminal attorney and saying, hey, keep me out of jail, get this case thrown up, and then you don't do what the lawyer says. Every once in a while, I'll have a criminal case, and I'll say, don't talk to the police. And the person tells me, well, I, I want to talk to them. They'll understand. No, they won't. They'll be getting information to use against them. I tell people, don't talk to social workers without your attorney being present. People pay me a lot of money to represent them, and then they don't take that advice, and they end up talking to social workers. They end up talking to social workers, and I see it in a report, and I'm like, hey, I thought I told you don't talk to the social worker. Without me. Well, Mr. David, I thought the social worker would, would understand. This is my family, blah, 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 blah. Okay, no problem. I used to get upset years ago. I don't anymore. If that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. It's your family. But I'm just telling you my expertise. I hope that answers your question, does it? It does, fully. Thank you so much. I don't know if I have a quick follow-up or different, no. actually a different quick question. Sure. Um, just on the, uh, the other caller had mentioned something about calling child witness. Now, is there an age uh, clip or an age limit as to when you would advise that you know a child under a certain age is not necessarily a good witness or a witness that would be helpful, or is that just kind of depend on the child's maturity? We have a 10-year-old. Our oldest is 10, and we're wondering, would it be helpful in all aspects? I mean, I don't want to traumatize my child any further, but I'm wondering if it would be possible or if it's advisable that she could be a witness for us or a witness on her own behalf. Okay. That's a, you know, that's a really good question. I'm not sure anyone has asked me that question on this radio show. And I've been doing this a few years, but that's a really good question. So let me tell you a couple quick stories. This week I did a trial in another county. One of the children, and I think the child was 13, 12 or 13, and I wanted to call him as a witness. And for several different reasons, the judge ruled against me and would not let me call him as a witness. Also this week, 
I was accused of a, by a county council. Actually, it wasn't this week. It was a week before. I was accused by a county council of being an asshole because I wanted to call a 14-year-old boy to the witness stand to testify in my, in my client's behalf. There is a great, a great feeling um, among a lot of juvenile judges, juvenile attorneys, uh, that a child should not testify. One of the main reasons uh, given is that the child um, might be traumatized by the testimony. Now, I have to tell you, in some cases, that may be true. In some cases, it may not be true. And what happens to me sometimes, you know, and I'm, you know, a conspiracy theorist, is that I'm told that the child will be traumatized by testifying, when in actuality, that's not true. Now, you as the parent, you told me something very important. You don't want to traumatize your child. And look, I understand that. I'm a parent. My kids were, you know, young at, at one time. But here's the problem and the dilemma. Sometimes you can't win a case, in my opinion, unless the child testifies. Or sometimes you'll have a better chance of winning a case if a child testifies. Now, that's something, whether a child should testify or not, you have to discuss with your attorney. Because I don't know the, all the details and the ins and outs and the politics of your case. But it's something that you have to seriously consider as a parent because, you, you know, like you said, you don't, you're not looking to traumatize your 10-year-old. But you're also telling me, hey, I want to win. I want to get my kids back. Sometimes those two things conflict. Now, If you want the child to testify, you want to make sure that you get the child ordered back to court or that you subpoena the child. And there are special rules to subpoenaing children. This is the type of thing you have to discuss with your attorney, either your private attorney or court-appointed attorney. Okay? It seems to me that it was it's less traumatic if you just arrange for the child to be there or if the child's there instead of subpoenaing the child, but I've had a number of judicial officers tell me, oh, if you didn't subpoena the child, you know, he's not going to testify. So that's one of the things that you should talk to, talk about with your court-appointed attorney. I, I'm sorry I can't give you a definite answer on your case. I don't know your case well enough. I haven't really re- I haven't reviewed anything in your case, Um I do remember talking to someone about this case uh, and heard a similar story um, prior to today. But, you know, these are things that you've got to talk to an attorney about, an attorney who is experienced in this area of law. Does that make sense? It does. Thank you. Thank you so much, okay. Mr. Davis. All right. So did you have any okay. other questions? Um, I I probably do, but is it so? Are, are we able to call back like uh, in, in other weekends too? Is that you is can that call back doable? as many times as you want. 
Okay. Let me give you the number to call in, yeah. okay? It's it's six four six area code. Six six eight eight seven nine one. That is the guest call in number. And the show is every Saturday, eight AM to nine AM Pacific Standard Time. Okay. Terrific. Oh thank thank you so much, Mr. Davis. This is very helpful. Thank you. Okay, take care. Hello. Vincent Kevin Siva, good morning. Good morning, Kevin. You're live on the air. You called my mobile number, not the uh, show number. Can I get you to call in? Can I get you to call the show number? Of course you can. Hold on one second, my friend. Uh, Hold on one second. Let me put you in hold for one sec. This is our guest at the 8.30 hour. Our special guest. His name is Kevin Fever. The phone number, Benson? Yes, it's area code 646. 646-668-668-8791. 8791. 8791. I'll call you right back. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Okay, so he's going to be calling in. Um, He's an attorney in Boston, Massachusetts. And guess what he's an expert in? He's an expert in fighting child protective services. So we'll just wait for his call. I wanted to tell the listeners another short story. Um, My producer is shaking her head no. I'm wondering why. You don't like my stories? No? All right. She wants me to tell you about our website, fightchildprotectiveservices.com. And she wants to tell us, tell you about the YouTube. Go to YouTube and, and uh, it's Vincent W. Davis in the search bar. And she also wants me to tell you about our free book, The Secret, How to Fight Child Protective Services and Win. You can get this book online at Amazon.com, or you could just call us, and we'll send you a free copy, 888-888-6582. And I see that Kevin's on the line, so I'm going to take this call. Hi, Vincent. Good morning, Kevin. How are you? How are you today? How's things in California? You know, in Los Angeles County, California, it is cold and rainy. Define cold and rainy for me, and then I'll tell you what it's like in Boston, Massachusetts. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you know, it's like about 50 and raining. It's it's, uh, yeah, it's 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 below twenty here, but I, I'm not going to complain because my understanding is all those nice people in the Midwest are really getting it socked to them. So we we better keep the cold temperatures to ourselves because they're really enduring some real cold out there, like below zero and all types of crazy temperatures. You no, know, um, you know I saw that on the news. Uh, people basically freezing to death when they walk outside. That's awful. Well, I've been, you know, keeping them in my prayers. But you're a good, I, you're a good man. First, thank you, thank you. What I want you to do first is tell our listeners who you are, what you do, and how you do it. And then Aren't I'm going to ask you some questions. 
Sounds terrific. My first name is Kevin. My middle name is Patrick. Everybody calls me Kevin Patrick, or if they're really mad at me, Kevin Patrick. Anyways, my last name is Seaver, S-E-A-V-E-R. I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. I've been practicing since 1991, successfully fighting the Department of Children and Families, which is Child Protective Services in Massachusetts. Um, with that said, uh, it's been a really, as the Grateful Dead say, a strange long ride, and uh, it's been a lot of fun with some ups and downs and some insides and outs and uh, a lot of learning. Uh, some mistakes. Sometimes I bumble, mumble, stumble. But all in all, it's it's it's, it's been a very, very, uh, uh, very worthwhile experience. Good, good. You know, for those people that are in your area or on the East Coast that want to get in touch with you, tell us what your um, website and email address and your telephone numbers. You're kind. Thanks, Vince. Well, I'm at eight Whittier, W H I T T I E R. Place, P-L-A-C-E. I'm in Suite 1A. That's in Boston, Mass., 02114. My phone number is 617-263-2633. And I, Vince, do something that's a little bit different than most lawyers. I give them my personal cell phone to call me after hours, and I welcome calls all the time from clients because Child Protective Services doesn't work 9 to 5, although some of them do, but they've got emergency numbers and what have you. So when people are in trouble, I try to serve them. My personal cell phone is 617-749-8400. My website is Seaver, S-E-A-V-E-R, D-C-F, lawyer.com. That's Seaver, D-C-F, lawyer.com. And I welcome uh, calls from everyone and anyone, and I try to help as many as I possibly can. That sounds great. Do you have a Facebook group that you also have? Uh, I belong to a bunch of different Facebook groups, Vincent. And the reason for that is that um, great ideas don't come from a s- single source. So I like to see what others are saying and how they feel and why they feel the way they feel and what they say and what they do. So, you know, I belong to a bunch of different groups, um, you know, quite a few, quite frankly, all over the country. Very good. Favorite group that you post in frequently? Um, not really. Not really because, you know, every night is a different post. And if I have something that I think would help a individual, a person, uh, whether it's an inspirational uh, uh, quote or a statement, I try to give that. Or if I think something just doesn't sound right, I try to explain why or a better way to process or proceed. Because let's be let, let's be real about this: is that you know a social worker is a social worker is a social worker, whether it's in California or Boston, they do the same things, pretty much. I may have made different rules and procedures and policies and statutes to follow, but in the long run, at the end of the day, they're all human beings. And as we know, human beings make mistakes. They are mere mortals. They have blemishes, flaws, and imperfections. I got my hand raised, like all the rest of us out there. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Kevin, do you do any civil rights cases against social workers in uh, your area? Oh, you just struck a chord. You just struck a chord, Vincent. I'm looking to do two things in the year 2019, uh, three of them, and, and, and the third one is personal. I want to get down to 185 pounds, and I'm, I'm working on that, and that's a daily struggle I'm sure many of us have with our weight. But the second thing I want to do is I want to write a book about how to successfully fight DCF. And I love what you 
mention your book, Vince, and I want you to say that again so everyone hears your book when I'm done with this because I, I, I want to read it, and I'm looking forward to reading it. And the third thing I want to do is I want to take DCF when they're wrong. And many times they are absolutely correct in what they do, but at times they are wrong, and again, they're mere mortals, human beings, and they have flaws, blemishes, and imperfections. I want to see DCF in 2019 in federal court because I've got some cases where they've really just not done the right thing. Matter of fact, they've done harm to families. And I look at children and representation of children and therefore their families, like the hypocritical oath that doctors take, in quotations, do no harm, end of quotations. And I see DCF who's supposed to protect families and therefore their children do harm at times. And I think it's egregious uh, when they violate and, more importantly, break intentionally the law. Well, those are good goals. Um, they sound like my goals for 2019. I'm well, I want to hear your goals, well. Vincent. What are they? Tell us all. Inquiring minds want right. to know. All right. Um, one of my goals is, you know, to get healthier and to lose weight. Um, I'm trying to lose about 40 pounds. So uh, hopefully next year by this time, I'll, I'll, when you see a picture of me, uh, you'll say, who's that guy? Uh, my, second goal, <laughs> my, my second goal is I, I want to write a, a, a new and different uh, CPS book. Uh, and I also want to update the book that I first wrote. I didn't realize this, but someone told me this the other day. The book that I did write, I wrote in 2015. Um, and it's 2019 already, and I think my book can use and probably does need to be updated, so that's one of my other goals. Um, and a third goal that I have for 2019 is to try to help as many people with a DCFS or CPS problem. Um, you know, a lot of times people come to me and they can't afford our services regularly. So what we've done is we've started a list. You know, it's not an unlimited list. We've capped it at a certain number. But if someone comes in with a case and, you know, it's very compelling, we may represent them on a pro bono basis. So I'm trying to just help more people, you know, in this situation. You know, um, I... Vincent, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take it a step further with you, and I'll guarantee you do this as well. You know, on many of my cases, my clients run out of funds, and you continue to represent them. That, too, in and of itself, is pro bono. And I've done that, and I'm sure you have, many, many, many times. Um, the issue becomes the following, um, and I know the reason you have such a tremendous uh, website and you wrote the book was to try and help people. Unfortunately, this past week, I've had people that refuse to help themselves. And if they refuse to help themselves, you can't help them. If they're unwilling to sit down, put down the clicker, get off the couch, and take action to read your website and read your book and do the right thing so they're a self-educated consumer that can best help themselves and make really good judicious decisions, you can't help them, Vincent. And I found that to be true this past week with a couple of clients who just were unwilling to do and put the effort in. And they just want to call you and ask questions when they are asking questions that are simply uh, answered on the website if they took the time to do diligence to do the elbow grease and the hard work. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that. I've never 
I've never said that out loud, but I think that a lot. You know, people will ask me questions, and I will say, well, did you see my video? Yeah, but I didn't watch it. And that was always, when that happens, I'm always, you know, like scratching my head. But, you, you know what's crazy, are, too, Vincent? Are... You know what's crazy? Everything you have right. is free. And I say to clients all the time, can you beat free? And all of a sudden, there's a big pause and a silence and a hesitancy on the phone. And the answer is, Captain Obvious, you can't beat free. But I, it just perplexes me when people, uh, and, and in fairness to some of my clients, I'll ask them, do you have a learning disability? Are you dyslexic? Are you able to read the website? Because if you're not, then you go to plan B, which is watch all the videos. You can listen, and it gives great information. That's true on your website. So, you know, much to your credit, kudos. And I think, you know, what you're doing, Vince, by helping these nice people in California with all your free materials, you know, they may not be able to afford you, although you do offer pro bono, much to your credit. I, 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 I applaud you loudly for that because God knows there's enough people that need it. But, um, you, you know, you, you're doing something that, unfortunately, many of our colleagues in our work life do not do, and I think there should be more of it. You know, because I know you became a lawyer for a reason, and I, I, I'm just so proud of you for doing what you do. I think it's just uh, it's just un, uh, incredible, and I applaud you because, again, many lawyers don't do what you do, the pro bono, the free videos, the free book, to educate people, and that's the right thing, you know? You know, Kevin, what I found, though, is there is a large percentage of the population who don't trust free Well, you know, you know, Vince, they can they can read your website and watch your videos and read your book, and they should make up their own decision. And then they can call your office, and you'll give them a sit-down where they can, you know, see the real deal. And, you know, your experience and your years doing this and your results speak for themselves, um, as well as the testimonials and endorsements you get from so many people in the public. So to me... You know, I, I always tell my clients, I don't want to sell you. I want you to buy. And I want it to be, in quotations, a win-win. They win, I win. And if it's not a win-win, I don't want their case. And I tell clients all the time, you know, I had a client come in with a wheelbarrow full of cash, and he wanted to put it on my desk. He says, I want to retain you. I said, but, I, I, you know, I want to hear your case first. And if I can't help push a client ahead and help them succeed and be successful in what their goals, their dreams, their aspirations are, I don't want their case, and I know you're the same way. And I think that has to be the, the, the thing that drives the train in any law practice. But you know and I know that's not always the case. So, you know. Right. You know, Kevin, do me a favor. Tell me about an interesting case that you're currently or previously worked on where there was some oh. CPS abuse. Well, <laughs> I had a case this past summer. I, I, I had a case this past summer, and DCF came out on a Wednesday, and they were claiming that, you know, my clients had sexual abused their own children and another child. And on Thursday, unbeknownst to these allegations being filed on that Wednesday, the clients had early intervention in their home, which amended the reporters. And they closed the case saying the family didn't need any further services. Then on Friday, 
they took the children to their yearly doctor's appointment where the doctors had examined the children from top to bottom, inside and out. And then they learned the following few days later that there was these allegations. And, you know, the Department of Children and Families, DCF, um, you know, made these ridiculous allegations. And um, we sent in the medical and the early intervention saying, you know, this is just not true. But they would not hear of this. So they continued with the case, and uh, we never got the reports from them, which is obviously a violation of your due process rights. If you're going to be accused of something, you should be able to see what the accusations are or the allegations. And we met with DCF on what was called an assessment for a period of time, and this was despite the fact we hadn't received the documents yet. And then in the end, they tried to turn the tables and say to us that we, as clients and attorney, were uncooperative despite the fact that we had met with them for six months, met with them at the home, let them see the children, speak to the children with us present, obviously, and continued down this road of, uh, you know, of, of saying that my client had abused his children when, you know, all the professionals, the collaterals, and anyone you spoke to said, just not a factual, true statement. So sometimes I think the Department of Children and Families get stuck on what I call, uh, first name is Stu, and the last name is Pid, as in stupid, and that happens. So instead of getting mad at DCF, you just prove to them and stick to your guns, do the right thing, continue to meet with them, show them that they're wrong. And sometimes we all have trouble admitting we're wrong. And that includes me. That includes everybody in life. And DCF's no different. Their work is they, they don't admit they made a mistake. Who, us? Come on. How, we don't make mistakes. Oh, yes, you do. Oh, yes, you do. Had another case, Vincent, where, you know, the young child, age six years old, uh, went to school and all the kids were telling stories. And she told the story how her mother had thrown her on the bed. Well, physical abuse. So immediately I had the mother take the child to the pediatrician, interview the child, independent third party. Pediatrician's a mandated reporter. Third party who was beyond reproach, isn't going to lie for anybody. Child's perfectly fine. No marks, no bruises, nothing. Zippo, nada. Now, I go over the house and sit down with the child, and the child is just absolutely positively lovely. She does ballet. She does tap. She does Irish step dancing. She sings. She, you know, chill. She does everything under the sun. Very busy, very active child. Excellent, outstanding grades. Parents are very well educated. But this child was a pleaser. What do I mean by that? Everyone that talks to her, like an adult, children want to please adults. She would tell you the moon was purple if an adult asked her, is the moon purple, just to please the adult. So it wasn't a question of the child due to her tender age lying or not telling the truth. She's just a pleaser. And there are times where you've got to understand what is the context of what's going on here. And no one really asked her you know, the questions in the right frame and sat down with her. So every time she told the story... It makes her look like she's got psychological problems. Now DCF's coming to us saying, well, you've got to have this child psychologically evaluated. Now let's take it even a step further, Vincent. Uh, being Catholic as I am, and you know, I am who I am. I'm an Irish Catholic from Boston. Big surprise, being Irish and Catholic from Boston. But, you know, <laughs> we teach our children all about Christmas and Santa Claus and Mrs. Claus and the elves who make gifts all year round and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and all the reindeers. And we teach them how it goes on one night, December 25th, and goes all over the world and goes down a chimney with presents for all the children throughout the world. What we're incessantly doing is lying to our children. 
We also tell them about the Easter Bunny. Here comes the Easter Bunny up and down the bunny trail, and he brings chocolates on Easter. We also tell them if you lose your teeth, what do we do? You put your teeth under the pillow or your tooth, and you get money. We lie to our children. Then when they lie to us, we're all like, well, what did the child lie for? <laughs> Big surprise. And, of course, I get from DCF all the time, oh, come on, come on, Kevin. Children always tell the truth. You know, out of the mouth of the babes, because nothing but the truth. And I just say, how contraire. That's not true. That's not factual. That's not the way it is. So from my visual viewpoint, those are some of the interesting cases that I've been working on, Vincent. Um, they come in all types of sizes, all types of nationalities, creed, color, race, you name it. Um, you know, I've represented people from, you know, the most uh, prestigious doctors and lawyers in the state of Massachusetts to, uh, you know, lowly prostitutes that have been cracked addicted. You know, it runs the whole gambit. Uh, there's no in-between. Uh, there's a lot in-between, I think. In your state, is is the CPS system state or county administrated? That's a great question. They got different area offices, and they're in like the the more heavily populated area. Like for example, we've got one in Fall River, New Bedford. We've got one in Taunton, Massachusetts. We've got one in Brockton. We've got the central office, which is in Boston, over on 600 Washington Street, Boston, Mass. 02111. We've got offices in uh, Cambridge. You've got some in Framingham, uh, office in Whitensville, a uh, bunch of different offices in Boston. You've got one in uh, Chelsea. You've got one in Dimmick Street. So they're strategically located all over the state of Massachusetts. Is, is a parent entitled to a jury trial in, in Massachusetts? Oh, you're striking all the courts today. You're striking all the courts today. You know, Vincent... One of the reasons I wanted to write the book, and I'm going to write the book, is because I, 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 I'm a great uh, uh, consumer of history. And uh, you can do two things with the past or history. You can either learn from it or repeat the same mistakes. And we have this incredible town up on the north shore of Boston, one of my favorite places in the whole wide world, especially around Halloween. You're probably going to guess what it's called, Salem, Massachusetts. And it had the famous Salem witch trials in which 20 people were killed. Uh, and they even, they even killed dogs, so they thought they were possessed. Those trials were held behind closed doors, tried with very little, if any, evidence. There was no records or documents of these proceedings after the fact, and there was no jury trial. Now, to me, one of my many bugaboos about the system, and, and this is why I believe the system needs to be reformed, and I hope it will be, and I hope that politicians will listen and learn and understand uh which many of them are not in the system, so they don't understand it. Does that make sense? And what happens is that, you know, if we have an accident today in our car and unfortunately somebody gets hurt, you go to court. You go to court and you file a civil lawsuit and you have the right to a jury. The same thing with a property dispute or any type of dispute you basically have. But when it comes to family matters, such as probate and family court, and you get a divorce or let's say juvenile court, you're not entitled to a jury. And, and the evidentiary standard in Massachusetts and across this great country of ours, according to the Supreme Court of the United States, when it comes to you know, supporting cases for child abuse is much lower uh, than it is for a regular civil case. So you've got different evidentiary standards. And that brings me to another point that's a bugaboo of mine, is that to me, when a parent's rights are terminated, 
and they lose their children, Vincent, that is akin to me a felony without parole. Because if your rights are terminated and your children are adopted out from underneath you, you will never, in some cases, see that child again. That, to me, is the death penalty. Now, Massachusetts, which is the famous state in 1972 that voted for George McGovern over Richard Milhouse Nixon, you know, that liberal blue state over there on the, you know, the coast, um, we pride ourselves on saying we don't have the death penalty. And I always say, how contraire? Because you've got termination of parental rights, which to me is the death penalty. Now, that death penalty, when it's instituted in court, is what is called clear and convincing evidence. It's not a standard of beyond a reasonable doubt, which is the criminal standard when you've got a murder trial. And I just think the evidentiary standard's lower, and they can terminate your parental rights, and that to me is akin to a death penalty. And no one talks about it. That's the part. It just absolutely blows me away that no one talks about it. You don't get a jury trial. It's a lowered evidentiary standard. And what in God's green grass earth is more important than your children? And to me, there's nothing. There's nothing more important than your children. And yet we treat our parents with disdain and disgust and disappointment. And we give them a lower evidentiary standard. We don't have a jury trial, the right to a jury trial. And it's tried behind closed doors. And, and and I know they say, well, we got closed doors because we want to put children. Who are we really protecting, Vincent, by having things behind closed doors? I don't think it's the children. <laughs> Nor do I. Nor do I. I think if the press could come in and see what's going on, I think we'd have a hell of a lot better system. Okay? I really do. Because then I'd have uh, you know, a newspaper guy watching to see whether I go visit my child down in Plymouth, Massachusetts to make sure he's going to school, got his IEP plan. Because what we're doing, we put kids into foster care. And, 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 and this happens all the time. And I, and I tell parents, if there's any parents out there, please, 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 I beg you, start early. Don't hesitate. Ask for help. Those are my three rules with everybody. Start early. Don't hesitate. Ask for help. Get your children out of foster care. I don't care if you're going to stick them under your bed in a shoebox. I don't care if you're going to stick them with a friend, a neighbor, or a family member. Get them out of foster care. Because I equate foster care, and I've met many a nice foster parent, don't get me wrong, and I don't want to throw them under the bus, but let's be real. I attribute foster care to like renting a car. And I always ask people all the time, especially parents, have you ever rented a car before? They say, oh, all the time, Kevin. I said, okay. Did you ever take that car to the car wash? They said, oh, positively not. I said, why not? Well, I don't own it. Well, it's the same thing with foster parents. There's not the same vested level of interest, Vincent, in my humble opinion. And again, I don't want to throw foster parents under the bus. I've met some dynamite foster parents, but let's be honest about it. They're not as vested as, as if it was their own child. Okay, and I've been to foster homes where the kids are fed brand X cereal, and their own children are getting Wheaties. And that's just not a good scene. And, and foster children are absolutely positively treated differently in some regards, in some houses. And in other houses, I've seen foster parents, they treat them unbelievable. They treat the kids fantastic. So it runs the whole gambit. But who wants to take that chance of getting or not getting a good foster home? Okay, because studies have shown that children are more likely to be abused or neglected in a foster home than they are in a parent's home. That's fact. I agree with that, and I see that in here in California many, many times. Vincent, you know something? The difference between Boston and California besides the weather is the difference between 10 cents and a dime. People are people. I don't care where it is, including all over this great country and world of ours. 
We all love our children. I don't care if you're in Russia or you're in Poland or you're in Italy or you're in Ireland or you're in Boston or L.A. We all love our children no matter where you go and we do anything for them. So basically mankind is similar in many different regards and we're so similar in so many regards in my opinion. Where I've been and what I've seen and experienced. And, uh, you know, I've spoken, you know, in Europe, you know, in, you know, various conferences about sexual abuse, physical abuse, neglect, you know, not only all over New England, not only over, you know, the United States, but also in Europe and, you know, across this great world of ours. And to me, it doesn't change. Abuse is abuse is abuse. Neglect is neglect is neglect. But how is that system? How is it set up? And I find a huge problem we have in Massachusetts is what one office does in Boston, different area office for DCF in a different part of the state. There's no consistency. Does that make sense? As much as you try to make it uniform, it's not. Makes sense. I mean, I'm sure you see something different in your county than they do up in Orange or up in the Bay Area or, you know, so forth and so on. Am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. You know, in California, they're trying to make it consistent, uh, but people are... Good luck. Good luck. Yeah. Because because we all come with our biases. And we all, we all come with our biases and, and, and you know, upbringings and, and our culture. I mean, you know, being an Irish Catholic from Boston is totally different than someone that's a Muslim. And that doesn't mean that I'm better or, or, or the Muslims are bad. It's just we're different. But instead of putting our differences down, we should revel and celebrate them. This is what's made this country so great is the walks and the creeds and the religions. And, you know, so many different people from so many different walks of life have built this country to be the incredible place it is. And it's still the best place on the planet. And anyone doesn't believe me, don't let the door hit you on the way out. And all you got to do is go visit some third world country, which I've been to many times. When I get back to this place, I kiss the ground I walk on. This is the greatest place on the planet. I concur wholeheartedly. Kevin, I want to thank you for calling in this morning. We're running out of Pleasure. time. Before we go, Pleasure. give us your contact, give us your I'm contact sorry? information one more time. Give it should be my pleasure. It's, it's Kevin Seaver, S-E-A-V-E-R. It's Beaver. Take away the B and Beaver. Put it in an S. You got Seaver. I'm at 617-263-2633. My personal cell phone is 617-749-8400. I can be reached at kevinseaver at yahoo.com or kevin at kevinseaver.com. My website is seaverdcflawyer.com. Again, seaverdcflawyer.com. And I wish you, Vincent, and your staff, and all the nice people out there in California, all the very best, and good luck to the Rams tomorrow. Go Patriots. <laughs> Kevin, thank you very much for being a guest. We're going to be calling and, you back. Maybe we'll make and, you a, and, a regular and, guest. And, and, do, and do I get a bet with you that if the Rams win, i got to buy you a L.A. Rams World Championship hat, and if, if the Patriots win, you're going to buy me one? How's Absolutely. that for a bet? Consider it a bet. All right, my friend. Consider we'll speak soon. All right, Thank yes. you. You're the best. Bye-bye, Bye-bye Vincent.